Well, last Saturday was a uh, great day in the life of our church as we um, had a skating party and we had 145 folks uh, there. So that's cool. And um, there you go. The exact same happened in the first celebration. I talk about how, you know, we had this outreach and all these people came and people were like. And then after that, I said this statement, I said, and we're praying that the Patriots lose tonight. Yeah, yeah exactly. Same, yeah. Same, same response. Same response. Well, hey, with it being Super Bowl Sunday, I wanted to begin this morning by uh, giving a football story. And we're going to uh, go back a little ways, not too far. But uh, we're going to look at a story about a coach uh, named Mike Ditka, who was the uh, Chicago Bears coach. So if you're a Bears fan, uh, there he is. And you know you don't just call them the Chicago Bears, you call them the Bears, right? So repeat after me, the Bears, the Bears. Bears. Okay, and uh, so Ditka has this big pep talk that he's going to let everybody uh, know and kind of build them up, you know, to go out and, and to go against another team. And he decides that he wants to close the whole time with the Lord's Prayer. So he turns to this guy. Anybody know him? The fridge, right. Uh, William, the refrigerator, Perry, all 345 pounds of him. Um, he's there, and Ditka goes up to him, true story, and says, Hey, fridge, can you, uh, you know, close us in the Lord's Prayer? And he's like, Yeah, coach, no problem, I'll do it. So Ditka gets his uh, pep talk going, and all of a sudden, this guy... Pretty boy, Jim McMahon, that some of you might remember, who was the quarterback of the Bears during uh, all their success, uh, he kind of taps the shoulder of the guy beside him and says, 50 bucks, the fridge doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. And uh, he kind of turns to him and like, I'll take you up on that bet. He's like, everybody knows the Lord's Prayer. And so Ditka goes ahead, he, he finishes the talk, and uh, the fridge gets down on one knee, and all the earth shakes, you know? <laughs> and then he begins to pray. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep, if I die before I wake. And about that moment, McMahon hits the guy beside him and says, Dude, I owe you 50 bucks. I didn't know he knew the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Isn't that great? I love that story. It's a great story. Now today, if you're here for the very first time, or God hasn't really been on your radar, and you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about, Lord's Prayer, I have no idea. Or if you're on the total opposite extreme, and you recited the Lord's Prayer every single Sunday, I want you to know that you're both at a place where today we're going to take a fresh look on what this prayer means and what it's all about. Now, to kind of give you a little bit of background before we jump in, you need to know that one day Jesus was hanging out with 12 of his best buddies, uh, his friends. They were called disciples. And Jesus goes off and he prays. And he comes back when all of a sudden one of the 12 come up to him And they could have asked Jesus anything. They could have asked him for anything. 
And the guy goes up to him and says, Jesus, could you teach us how to pray? And Jesus then begins this prayer that we're going to look at today. It'll come up on the side screen, and I'd like us to read it out loud together. Let's read it out loud together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now last week I shared that when you pray, Jesus said, don't try to go for the Guinness Book of World Records, right? He says, don't go on and on and on, rambling on and on and on. He also says that you don't have to use big words. You don't have to use big flowery words when you pray. He says, when you pray, just make it short and get to the point. He also said that when you pray, that you should go to a closet to pray. Now, some of you might think, well, a closet, does that really what he means? I mean, that's kind of weird to, to go to a closet and, uh, are you sure? Well, actually, uh, Jewish men and women would have a prayer cloth. And uh, it actually looked like this. And at the bottom of it, you can see that there are uh, some different tassels. And there would be a knot on each one of those that would represent a book of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And so um, young boys memorized all of those. So uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all those were memorized. But no one had closets back in those days. And I couldn't find one of these. I don't have a prayer cloth. So I went to um, my wife's closet, and this is what I found. And so she had a lot of scarves, you know, like scarves are in. She has a scarf for every occasion, every, you know, day of the week uh, of the year, uh, you know, the whole thing. So this is the one that I picked out. And basically what Jewish men and women would do, they would take their uh, prayer shawl. And with this prayer shawl, they would put it around themselves. And when they would get ready to pray, they would actually put it over their head like this and they would choose to pray to not be distracted, they would go into what you would say their own closet. And so that was kind of the concept of Jesus's day of when someone would pray in their closet. They would be alone. They would place themselves to where they're quiet before God, to find a space and a place where they could just be alone. And I want you to really understand that as you're praying this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that the very first word that he uses is the word our. Our. And you might say, well, that's kind of interesting. Shouldn't that just be me that I'm praying to God, my Father? And he says our. And he says that when you pray, I don't want you to be distracted So I don't want you to be distracted by text messages or Facebook or television. And so I want you to go to a place where 
It's like you're being in a closet and you can be quiet before God and nothing will distract you. And Jesus then goes on to say, if there's anything that's going to distract you, the thing I want you to be distracted by is that very first word, our. That it's not just you that are praying, but that God has a very large family. Did you realize that there are people all over the world who have already prayed today and many of them have prayed for you? They have prayed for people in the United States that they would grow closer to God. So you think about all of the millions and billions of people on planet Earth who are Christian who have prayed for you. And then you think of all of those who have come before us in history who have prayed for you and those who will pray after. So that's why he begins with this concept of our, that it's a big family when we pray. The second word is father, our father. Now you need to understand that Jewish people did not call God father. In fact, they created words to describe him, but they never said his name. So one word was Hashem, which means the name. Another one is Elohim, the powerful one. So they would come up with all of these names to describe him, but they would never say his name, which is Yahweh. And no one would say that because God was so far removed and holy and distant from us. They never said his name. And so now Jesus comes to this group of people who aren't saying God's name. He's like, hey, when you pray, I just want you to know that he's my father. And if he's my father, then he can be your father too. And so you can begin all of your prayers by saying, our father. Folks, let me ask you this morning. Do you pray like that? You pray as if knowing that the creator of the universe, the one who created all things, is in heaven and he longs to have a relationship with you. Kind of reminds me of a story of a soldier who was in the army. And he was in the army and in the middle of the battlefield, he started writing some letters to the president of the United States. And he would write these letters and he would send them. And when he finally got discharged, he went to Pennsylvania Avenue and he decided that he was going to see the president, ask him about the letters. And he didn't have an appointment. So you can imagine as he gets to, you know, the White House and he got to the security point, they're like, yeah, no, you're not coming in here. And so here's this soldier. He's in uniform. He walks away from the White House and he goes to a little park and he sits on a bench. And when he sits on this bench, he's just so discouraged and disgusted because like his entire military experience, he was writing these letters. And now the one he was writing to, he didn't have access to. Well, eventually a a small nine-year-old boy comes up to him and says, Hey, soldier, why are you so sad? And the soldier said, Well, the reason I'm sad is because I've written all of these letters to the president while I was in the battlefield, and he hasn't responded to any of them. 
And so the nine-year-old boy says, well, hey, just come follow me. And so the nine-year-old boy walks up to the big security point, and he waves at the security guard, and they wave him on in. And the soldier goes with him. He walks into the White House like he's been there before. He walks in. He's like, hey, Dad. Dad. There's a guy here that's been writing letters to you, but you haven't responded to him. And Abraham Lincoln walked out and said, well, Todd, who is it? He says it's a soldier. And the soldier went up and shook President Lincoln's hand and said, thanks for taking this meeting. I just wonder this morning if you kind of have that dad relationship with the creator of all heaven and all earth. Do you believe at the depths of your heart that you have access to God and that you're worthy enough because of what Christ did, what we celebrated in communion, that you're worthy enough to go to him at any time? Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, who was a murderer of Christians, he knew what it was like to feel like, I'm not worthy. In fact, he said, I'm the worst of all sinners. But he wrote these words in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18. He says, for through him, for through Jesus, we have access to the Father. Every single one of you, if you call on Christ as Lord of your life, you have direct access to the Father. But when you pray... Do you actually believe that? Do you believe that you are connecting with the one who can do all things beyond what you can think or imagine? Do you believe that when you get on your hands and your knees and you're praying to God, that it really is your heavenly Father who is there from the beginning of all things and will be there throughout all of eternity? Or do you pray in such a way that you're kind of like, I don't know if I really have access to God. I think of one of Jesus' greatest parables. It's the story of the prodigal son. There's a dad, he has two sons. The oldest son does everything that the dad tells him to do. Everything is done well. The younger son finally gets to a point where he's like, I'm done with that. I don't want to keep doing this for my dad. In fact, I want my share of the inheritance right now, dad. In other words, I'm telling you, I wish you were dead, but if you're not dead, just play like you're dead and give me the money that I deserve. And so he takes everything from his dad, all of his inheritance. He goes out and he squanders it on wild living and wild women until the point where he's dead broke. He has nothing left. So he decides that he'll return home to the father. And Jesus paints this picture of the father on the top of this roof. And he's like up on his tiptoes and he's looking out trying to see if he could get a glimpse. And for days and days you get the sense that he's looking out on his tiptoes until the day that he finally sees his son 
And then he does something that no Jewish male would ever do. He would never lower himself of going to someone who was lower than him, than his son. But he, he decides, I'll, I'll just take all that away. And he runs directly toward him and he grabs him and he holds him. And I was thinking about it this week that this image, folks, this picture that Jesus paints in this parable, this story, is not just about grace and redemption, but it also has to do a lot with how we pray. Our Father in heaven, he's on his tiptoes. And he's looking down from heaven with bated breath, longing for you to spend some time in relationship with him. On his tiptoes. Those of you who have kids, have you ever been to uh, like a a place where there's a big crowd? uh, Like Kings Island or uh, maybe the zoo, Disney? Well, a few years ago, uh, we, we thought it'd be really great if we went to Disney on New Year's Day. It's not a good idea, folks. It's like, it's a horrible idea. Never do it. Just don't. There were so many people that they brought out the suits, you know, like all the people that were the executives, and they're all in their ties and dresses, and they're standing in the middle just directing crowds of people. I mean, it really felt like you were just a, you know, a, a mouse getting through this. Uh, and so we're doing all of this, and all of a sudden I look around, and I can't find my daughter, Jordan. She's dropped my hand. She's gone. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'll never forget this. I was on my tiptoes because I'm trying to get to look above the crowd to see if I can find her. And when I found her, folks, I ran as fast as I could and I grabbed her and I held her. And the God of the universe sits in heaven on his tiptoes looking out at each one of you with bated breath, longing that you would spend some time with him. The one who brought you into this world, who knew you before you were ever even born. He says, ah, where are they? Do you pray like that? Do you pray believing that you have that kind of access to the God of the universe? You know, C.S. Lewis, who's a great Christian theologian, he said, you know, everybody has to decide who Jesus is to them. And you either decide that he's Lord or a liar or a lunatic. But everyone has to decide and choose who he is. But if he is Lord, then you have direct access to the creator of the entire universe. And this God, your heavenly Father, is for you. And He says, I'm always with you. The past couple of years, I've helped to coach my uh, daughter's soccer team. And uh, we've, been, we've gone undefeated. I mean, you're looking right now of coaching greatness, folks, okay? That's, 
basically what is, this is all about. And um, now I, I do have to tell the truth. They didn't keep score the first two years. But that simply means that we didn't lose, right? You're still undefeated, right? Well, finally, at the end of uh, last spring schedule, they had a tournament. They called it the World Cup, and all the teams had to play each other. And so I coached, and we went 2-0-1. So I'm still undefeated, okay? Now, when I started coaching... Uh, Jordan, when she was a five-year-old, I would make sure that she and all the other kids knew, hey, now, I'm Coach Chris. That's what I want you to call me. That's who I am. And so pretty soon, you know, hey, Coach Chris. Hey, Coach Chris. Can I go to the bathroom, Coach Chris? Uh, Coach Chris, they're kicking me. Kick them back. Coach, you know, (laughs) you know, like all this kind of stuff. Coach Chris, Coach Chris, Coach Chris. Well, I noticed that Jordan started kind of getting confused on what she could call me. And so I remember going to the grocery store one time. She's like, hey, Coach Chris, can I get some cereal? (laughs) You know, Coach Chris, can I get some ice cream? Uh, Coach Chris, can I, you know, get some juice boxes? And it was really cute. And then one day, though, it kind of hit me that Jordan... Unlike any other kid that was on the team, had access to me in a way that no other child did. And so I remember one day just going and getting on my knees and I I said, Jordan, I said, sweetheart, you can call me Coach Chris if you like to. But I just want you to know That you have access to me like no other kid on the team has. You can call me dad. You can call me your father. I just wonder, when you pray to God, do you have that intimate relationship knowing that you're not just praying to any God. You're not praying to just some being that's far and distant, but you're praying to the Heavenly Father who says, you have access to me, the one who created all things. This is the picture that Jesus paints when he says, our Father, And I want you to know that this prayer, folks, is not just some nicey-nice words that we say and it makes us feel better and we've recited it and we've memorized it. But I want you to get this big idea this morning. And it's this. It'll come up on the side screens. The Lord's Prayer isn't so much about Jesus teaching us how to pray as it is Him teaching us how to live. It's not so much about him teaching us how to pray as it is him teaching us how to live. He then goes on to say, our Father in heaven. And you might be like, oh, in in heaven. Heaven's beautiful. 
Heaven is perfect. In heaven, there's no war, no disease, no pain, no stress, no worries, no anxiety, no brokenness. When we think of heaven, what we think about is the way that the world is supposed to be. How God originally intended it to work out. And the poets and the prophets of the Old Testament said, yes, heaven is in eternity, but also heaven can actually come to earth. It's as close as our next breath. And God's goodness and his truth and his love and his mercy can flow down from heaven and live here on earth. Heaven isn't just up there somewhere, but heaven actually longs to come and to be present here with us. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now that's a word we don't use very often. You you don't hear people going around going, hey, hallowed to you, you know. Hallowed has this concept that it's like way beyond, that it's something that is reverent, respectful, Someone of honor. Hallowed is your name. That it's the only name that has its own... Like there are tons of Chris's. I don't know what your name is, but there are tons of you. Like we named our daughter Shiloh. And we thought, oh, no one will ever... And now they name boy Shiloh even. You know what I mean? There's no uniqueness about that name. But there is a name that is above every other name. And the Jews even believed that you couldn't say the name. It's set apart. It's holy. It's profound. And Jesus said, God is entrusting you with this name. Hallowed is this name. Then he goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, it's not that God wants to be a monarch who comes down and forces people to do what? He wants a relationship. That's what it's always been about. But he says there are moments in which Your kingdom can actually come, that God's reign, his rule can be here. It's almost like if God was in charge of planet Earth, this is what it would look like. May your kingdom come, may your will be done. Your will, your dreams, your hope, it's all about you. The way that you dream this world up, God, would you send that to be a reality to us? Next line. On earth as it is in heaven. Now, do you see what he's saying here? It's not just words that Jesus says you should pray. He's going, our God, our Father, is not just there and he's distant and he's in heaven and one day maybe we'll get there. But he said, no, it can actually be here on earth as it is in heaven. You know, every once in a while, I'll be walking through the city of Muncie. And I'll catch myself going, oh God, may it be in Muncie as it is in heaven. And when I drop my girls off at Mitchell Elementary School, and we've prayed at the school before, and when I'm walking around the school, I'll say, God, may it be at Mitchell Elementary School as it is in heaven. And when our family takes walks in our neighborhood, I'll say, God, may it be in Farmington as it is in heaven. 
And sometimes when I'm downtown and I'm here at the Y for some, God, would it be in downtown Muncie as it is in heaven? May it be on the south side of Muncie as it is in heaven. May it be on the north side of Muncie as it is in heaven. May it be in Yorktown as it is in heaven. May it be in Selma as it is in heaven. May it be in all of Delaware County as it is in heaven. May it be in your family as it is in heaven. And that's what we desire. That's what we long for. That when you pray that prayer, that you're not just putting it all on God and saying, okay, God, this is something I'm just saying to you. No, you're saying, God, I want to partner with you to actually bring heaven here to earth. And all of its goodness. Here to this moment, to this place, to this zip code, to where we're at. May heaven come. I believe that your kingdom will come. That your will be, will be done. That heaven actually invades planet earth. You see folks, this isn't a prayer just to be recited. To be Shared over and over again, you know, every single Sunday, just the way you memorized it. But it's to be embraced. It's to put on. It's to live it out. That the prayer actually would take up residence in you. And then Jesus paints a couple of very practical pictures in this prayer. He's saying it's all about this relationship with your father. And so he goes on to say, give us today our daily bread. Now, when you think of bread, you think of a big old sandwich, don't you? Kind of like what you're going to have at your Super Bowl parties tonight, right? You're going to have all these bread and sandwich. And, but you won't be thinking about that bread very long. You know, you'll just be inhaling it and that'll be it. But Jesus is saying, actually, even the smallest things that you guys kind of forget about, I'm interested in. Even the smallest, most minute needs that you have matter. Because everything that you're going through matters to God. But do you trust Him enough? Do you believe Him in the minutia of your life to even ask prayers for that? I'll tell you an example. Last night, I felt horrible. I took some NyQuil. It knocked me out. But there was someone on staff that said, Chris, we are praying that tomorrow that God would give you the strength to be healthy. And I woke up this morning. I wasn't feeling all that hot. And I went and I prayed. And then by the time I got here, I've got some energy. Because the thing is, folks, it may not have been this great big thing. You know, you could say it's the NyQuil. You could say it's the DayQuil that I took this morning. But because it was just a small thing, God, just get me through, like, till noon. It matters to him. It matters to him. The Lord's Prayer is a prayer where we're saying every need that you have matters to God. Bring any request, he says, to him. He cares about the bread, whether it's rye, wheat, sourdough, whatever it is, 
He cares for that small detail. So what's your daily bread? Like, what is the thing in your life that you think is small and minute and it's not a big deal, but it matters to God? Jesus says, share it with me. Trust me with it. Next line. And forgive us our debts as we forgive those, uh, as we also forgive our debtors. Now, this is a picture of the good news. This is a picture of the cross. This is exactly the picture of what you did with communion today. You went and you said, there is a piece of me that is so distant and far from God. I need his forgiveness. And when you took the bread and you took the juice, you were forgiven. But in this scripture, it says, forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven other people's debts. Several years ago, I had a uh, childhood friend of mine who uh, embezzled some money in the company that he was the uh, treasurer for. And he was getting ready to go to jail and they wanted to bond him out. And they were trying to collect money, and they didn't have quite enough. And so his mom picked up a phone and called me and said, can you help? And Jennifer and I gave him thousands and thousands of dollars so that he wouldn't have to go to jail. And when he got out of the little small arrest place where he was at, and then he got out, he he said, oh, dude, thanks so much, man. I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. And like a few days went by, and I'm like, ah, you know, he's got a lot on his mind. Then a week went by. Then a few weeks went by. Then a month went by. Then several months went by. Then a year went by. He never thanked me. He never acknowledged anything. And another year went by. And then a third year went by. And like as each day went by, I just got more and more bitter toward him. I got more resentful. In fact, when we got to year two, I said, I'm done. I don't want him in my life anymore. And one day I was reading a passage of scripture. It's in Matthew chapter six, but it's pretty much this phrase. And what that says is that if you forgive others, their sins, then God will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive other people, God can't forgive you. And I remember reading that on that particular day, and I was like, God, I'm good. Like, I'm not holding anything. See, the bitterness and resentment had become numbing. You ever be, have you ever been so bitter and resentful that you just, like, wipe the person out? And you get numb to it. You don't even think about it. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just kind of spoke to me and said, you're doing pretty good on everything, but what about James? And I'm like, serious, God? Like, serious, him? You know what he did to me? Thousands of dollars. It could have been going to your church. Forgive. 
So I picked up the phone and I called him and I said, hey, you know, I'd like us to get together. We hadn't talked in three years to seek forgiveness. Now, the thing you need to know about James, too, is that he's six foot one, 275 pounds. He rides a Harley and he's just nasty, mean looking guy. And so we uh, decided we were going to meet at Cracker Barrel at Gas City. And I walked in, and, you know, it's real awkward because you haven't talked, and everybody knows the elephant in the room. I bet you do that with family sometimes, don't you? I bet some of you are doing it with your family right now. And you get there, and it's all small talk. And then finally, I just stopped it, and I said, hey, man, I said, I wanted to reconnect with you, but I really wanted to tell you that you hurt me a lot. When you were going to jail... We were there for you. We gave you thousands of dollars. And you never even said thank you. And all of a sudden, this big Harley guy starts crying. And I said, but, I, you know, if truth is known, I just want you to know that, one, I forgive you. But secondly, I need to ask forgiveness from you. Because I've been bitter and resentful, and I just kind of wiped you out. And he's bawling at this time. And I wrote this down because I never want to forget the power of forgiveness. He said, Chris, I'm sorry. You mean so much to me, man. I'm sorry. During that time in my life, I was lost. I'd just gone through a divorce, I lost my job. My kids didn't want to talk to me. I was on my way to jail. But you were there for me. And I'm so grateful. It was the hardest time of my life. The reason I never called, though, Chris, was because I was so ashamed. I mean, I didn't want to admit how much I had messed up. And how much I had hurt you and other people. And I didn't even think you would want to talk to me. In fact, I had plans to shoot myself. And I would have. If it wasn't for my kids and friends like you. I want you to know how sorry I am, man. I I apologize. You saved my life. I'm so glad we're back together. And he tears up with his full tears, and I'm tearing up a little bit. We finish the rest of the breakfast, and the server comes out and you know, gives the bill. And he's like, I'll get this. And I'm like, darn right you're going to get it. <laughs> and then we go out to the parking lot. And this is the phrase... That I'll never forget for the rest of my life. And this is what he said. All the best stories of my life. You're in them. I love you, man. All the best stories of my life. You're in them. And I hugged him, and I'm crying, you know, and now I'm crying all over the place. And again, it's a big Harley dude. 
He's like, dude, people are going to think we're sissies. Quit it. (laughs) Folks, I know how hard it is to forgive somebody. I know how hard it is to release someone that has hurt you. Someone who has taken something from you. Someone who is not grateful for what you've done for them. I know what that's like. It took me three years to finally release James, release the money, release everything to God. But if I did it, folks, and I'm really screwed up, you can do it. Jesus set us free so that we could free other people. Jesus forgave you so that you could be a forgiver of other people. He reconciled you so that you could be a reconciler of other people. And then the choice is up to you. And it might be an ex-husband, it might be an ex-spouse, it might be a boss, it might be a brother, a sister, a friend, whoever it is, it really doesn't matter. But if you've been forgiven, if Jesus said, you should be chained to your sins, I'm breaking it free, you're free. Why would you not want to give that to someone else, especially when God says, unless you forgive other people, I can't set you free? Well, the prayer closes with these two lines. The first one is this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, what is the temptation that Jesus is talking about? What is it? Anything other than than the kingdom of God. In other words, anything that distracts you from being connected to the kingdom of God is a temptation. The distraction of when you forget who you are on Monday morning when you go to work, the distraction when you forget who you are when you're around your friends or forget who you are when you're around your family, Or you forget who you are when you're in your neighborhood. It's any of those distractions that forget that you are a child of the Most High God and you're connected to Him. And this is what the enemy, the evil one, wants to do. He wants to make you anxious. He wants to make you stressed out. He wants to make you overwhelmed. He wants to create a super busy schedule in your life. He wants you to overschedule everything. He wants to put you in a position that before long, even though you're in the position, the position becomes more important than him and you forget him. I imagine sometimes that the evil one stands back and goes, oh, that person's so stressed out. Good. There'll be no use to God. Oh, that person's overwhelmed. There'll be no use to God. Oh, that person, I see, they're uh, distracted. I mean, they're like connected to their phone. They spend more time on their phone than they do with God. No problem there. Oh, there's opportunities that God's putting in their path for them to reach out to care for other people, and they walk by them every single day. Ah, That's okay. 
they'll be no good for God. And Jesus is saying, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And then he closes it out. He says, yours is the kingdom. He said, it's not about you. It's about his kingdom. Yours is the power. It's your power. It's not the power of how much money I make. It's not about the power of the car I drive. It's not the power of the house that I live in. It is not about any power I have. It's about your power. So yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. And finally, yours is the glory. Now, I was thinking about it this week. Most of us are kind of like, okay, God, yeah, it's your kingdom. It's your power. But I want the glory. Like, I want people to notice me. I want people to go, ah, he's a good dad. Ah, he's a good husband. Ah, he's a good pastor. I want my glory. Affirm me. Give me credit. And he's saying, allow the focus of your life to recognize that everything you do and every success you have is all for the glory of God. It's about him from now until eternity. So I was trying to think about how we would close out today. And this is what I came up with. We're going to put that prayer up again, the Lord's Prayer. And I want you to look through it. And I want you to ask God's Spirit to maybe reveal to you a word or maybe a phrase that is in that prayer, that he's prompting you to take notice of. Maybe it's the first word, our. That your prayers have all been about you. And you've forgotten about our, that it's a big family of people that you could be praying for. Maybe it's Father. You've been just so disconnected that you think, oh man, I'm not good enough, I'm not worthy enough. I mean, there's just no way God would want anything to do with me. And so you have an access problem because you don't think he's your father. Maybe it's hallowed be your name. If truth were known, there were times this week and recently that you have not revered his name. You have not respected his name. You have not lifted his name to be hallowed. Maybe it's kingdom. Maybe you're building your kingdom, you know, you're building it all and you've just forgotten that it really is about your kingdom. Maybe it's will. God, I, I, I want my will to be done. And God's asking you to do some things or you're feeling prompted to do something, but it's not his will. It's really your will. Maybe it's bread. Some of the smallest things that you think are so insignificant, and so you don't trust God with it. You're not dependent with it. Maybe it's the word forgive. There's someone in your life that you know right now that you're holding a grudge against. You got resentment towards, you have bitterness towards. Doesn't mean you have to trust them at the same level. I never trust James with money. But I'm called to forgive him. Maybe 
you would be honest with the places that you've been distracted. You've just been so distracted and the evil one actually has tempted you to focus more on the distractions than to focus on God. Or maybe it's at a point where you're saying, no, it is. It's your kingdom, God. It's your power. It's your glory, God. Everything from this day until my last day, God, I want it to be about your glory. So I'd like to just give you a minute as you look at this that the Holy Spirit might highlight or give a word or a phrase of something in your life that you could give to him. So let's take a minute.